0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: So, can everyone hear me? Yes? Okay, great. So, welcome. This is the last class of this series Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation. And um, just curious if there are any questions about how your practice is going, or any of the instructions that were given, or any of the materials that were presented? Yes, can you wait for the mic? When am I going to notice anything? (laughs) Oh, that's too bad. (laughs) So um, first of all, we just have to consider that if you've just started, this is only the fifth week. Um, It's considered a relatively short period of time to be meditating. And we find that it's not so helpful to try and look for results or make results happen or try and interfere or make something happen during our practice. It's kind of actually letting go of that uh, kind of compulsion to do that and rest a little more, relax a little bit more into a deeper presence. And um, so for a lot of people, it takes a while for them to notice some differences in their daily life. They may uh, not be as quick to react when something challenging happens. They may have more periods of calm and rest just when they're waiting uh, for something... um, And insights happen at their own time. We can't really make them happen, unfortunately. And so, understandably, if there's not enough, I feel like, uh, interest in at least some some of the materials to try them on, then um, some people uh, get bored and because they don't see results right away, um, drop the practice. So, um, that happens. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> hopefully, if you give it a little bit of a chance, I have to say, it's a, it's just a better way to let things unfold. I don't know if Diana has something to add.
0: Yes, maybe I'll add this. Can you hear me? No. Turn that volume up. Can you hear me better now? Yes, that one Okay. better. Well, I would actually add, you did notice that you weren't noticing... And you noticed that you were feeling bored, maybe you noticed that you were f- were wishing or anticipating something maybe you didn 't know what, but that you had that expectation so you you are like you know engaged in this way, and you are noticing things, but perhaps it 's not exactly what you are expecting that you are going to notice at this time and shin Quan is absolutely right that um, Insights happen on their own schedule, uh, most often when we're not expecting them, when we're not um, striving for them. So I would encourage you to stay with the practice. So, so I did have something else to
1: add, is that um, sometimes it can be a little bit... Um, Mm, Not so engaging to be sitting here for an hour and a half listening to us talk on and on. The next four weeks following this class, uh, we offer the opportunity for people to um, meet in small groups and have discussions and get a little more engaged, specific questions that we pose about practice and what starts to unfold. So uh, for a lot of people, that's when it starts to come alive because they can share their experiences with other folks. And Um, a lot of times if you're doing this practice but your friends aren't or your family isn't then you really have no one to share the experience with because they may think whatever you're talking about makes no
0: sense to them (laughs) Um, so that's something else I had to add Maybe I'll uh, also add that it's a great opportunity to ask questions. Maybe you feel uncomfortable in this big setting. We have to give you a microphone, all you know, this thing to ask questions. With the Beginner's Practice Group, that starts next week, Wednesday, 7.30 to 9. The same thing is now. It's a little bit smaller feeling. You, you may um, have a feel more comfortable asking questions, either with um, other meditators or the instructors. And it'll be the teachers are you, Shinquan, and me, Diana. And Chris. And Chris, So, who was here before. So. Any other questions?
1: Okay, so there'll be time for questions later. Um, so then I guess... Um, well, I guess I just start with saying... Um, we're, we are doing a, actually quite a few different things when we're trying this mindfulness meditation on... And one of the things is um, to uh, have some more clarity around what's going on. And so a lot of people um, sometimes don't like what they see (laughs) so this is another point of practice they not only get bored but they didn't realize that their minds are so busy or they're always agitated or they're anxious a lot or angry a lot Um, and and it's quite some news so the other part of the practice is how to be able to see that without getting as entangled so without kind of trying to manipulate what you see or your, con, the conditions around you or the situation or the experience you're having, and rather just develop more stability of mind, more presence to meet whatever's happening um, without with, with less entanglement, uh, with less judgment, with less criticism, with less needing to fix it or change it, or do something else with it. So um, it's kind of radical because that's what our, ki- our minds do all the time. The minute it meets something or has some experience, we have an opinion or a judgment or we like it or we don't like it. And um, there goes the mind with a, a lot of stories or something. And the body then also responds. And so we get kind of pulled this way and that by all the external conditions in which we live and the internal compulsions. That have been conditioned and are guiding us, a lot of the times unknowingly. So I have to say, this practice isn't um, isn't so easy. It's this pretty big shift of saying, can I relax that part of the mind that does that and uh, allow a deeper connection to whatever's going on in a different way? So there's more clarity around where there can be freedom from. Wherever suffering arises. So, as you said, um, you're bored, and when are things going to happen? That was the question, right? There's inherent. In there's a little bit of uh, suffering in that because there's not any. Like there's there's a lack of contentment then with what is. There's a le- there's some level of dissatisfaction. So it helps us to see that those patterns arise over and over again, and be able to meet them, and not go off in the story about this is the kind of person I am or whatever. Um, But just see what happens if we can stay with an experience and develop over time some ease in our bodies, some ease with our breathing, some ease meeting uh, all kinds of uh, feelings, emotions, and all types of um, patterns of thinking or thought so that we are not (coughs) so pulled by them. So I have to say the... um, It's possible in each moment to have some level of ease and contentment, uh, no matter what it is that you're seeing. So I've been up here many times teaching, and uh, uh, in the beginning, there was, my heart was pounding, and my thoughts were spinning, and and I was not accustomed to having to do any kind of public speaking, but... um, because I've had a lot of experience sitting with uncomfortable feelings and body sensations there was some level of ease even with uh, anxiety so I don't know if that makes sense to you I didn't have to add another layer of anxiety on top of the anxiety or judgment about the anxiety I could still have the beating heart but I could actually um, it was fine so this is what I mean Like when we meet boredom or discontent, or dissatisfaction, we can also bring that to that practice. So, I don't know if that makes it clear. So, um, I think we've gone through a lot of the um, aspects of what it's like to be living uh, as a human being. um, Not only uh, how it is to be in our body, but what goes on with our feelings, and what goes on with our thinking. Um... And so, in Buddhism, there's this classic analogy that um, being a human being is like... Um, uh, or living this life is like uh, being in a one-room house with five windows and a door. And the five windows would be the, the sense doors, and the door would be... In Buddhism, there's another um, sense door of the mind, how we perceive things. So, uh, with this analogy... Um, the idea is that if we would take an easy chair and sit in the middle of this room and sit there comfortably, and as things kind of go by the windows um, or door, or knock on the door, rather than go out and engage with everything, um, we can just um, be there for it and see it. A squirrel goes through uh, the tree outside the window, we see that, a bird flies in, a butterfly a deer or a dog barks or something. So whatever comes in through our sense doors, whatever we hear, whatever we feel, whatever we think, uh, we're getting some practice not to engage with everything, not to get entangled with everything, to see clearly that it arises and try and keep a firm, stable, easy seat and just be there for it. So all our experience. So um, having said that... um, We'll try and do a guided meditation using that. <clears throat> so uh, take a comfortable seat. that's what we suggest and see if you can bring some energy. gently close your eyes and allow your body to take a few deep breaths so you can connect with your breathing on the inhale and see if you can relax a little with the exhale so we're just settling Allowing the body to find its place of ease, rest, and still be alert. Letting the breathing find its natural rhythm. There's no need to change the breath. And switching from a thinking mind to a sensing place, you can just sense the body as it's breathing. if the mind is thinking about something that happened earlier today or things you need to do later when you get home then you might notice the mind is elsewhere and the body is here. So we do what we can to bring the mind here. Seeing if we can let go of those preoccupations. seeing if there's any places of tension where it's easy to let go. If you can relax the belly and just let it hang, be soft and easy. Some people have tension in their shoulders, seeing if that can be softened. If there's any tension around the forehead or eyes, jaw. Seeing if you can just relax. And whatever you can't relax, just seeing if you can there can be some softness around that. Seeing if you can just hang in there with each breath. Allowing the presence to deepen. If the mind wanders off in thought, then gently bringing back the awareness to the body as it's breathing. You can imagine throwing a little pebble into a lake or pool of water. And as that pebble settles down, so can our presence and awareness settle into the body. And if it's relatively easy to stay with the body as it breathes in and out, then continue that practice until something more compelling arises, comes to the window or the door. And then just see if you can sit in that easy chair. Notice thoughts come and go. Notice sounds come and go. Notice sensations in the body come and go. No need to get entangled with them or pick them up or do anything with them. if you notice that you're lost in thought. See if you notice the difference between how it was to be lost in thought and how it is when your awareness comes back to the present moment. Coming back to mindfulness of breathing anytime you feel you've been away somewhere else. for the last few minutes of this sit, just seeing if we can hang in there with the breath. Get a little closer to it. So, the idea behind a lot of this practice is a trying to uh, describe ways in which we can become more present for our lives and less entangled with the things that get us in trouble. So, this practice of being in that one room house in the easy chair. Um, and not getting entangled with all the things that may come up through the sense doors, the windows and the door of the house, uh, is something called choiceless awareness. Um, We are not choosing what to get engaged with. Uh, We're using the breath to stabilize the mind, stabilize the body. Um, And as things become compelling to us, uh, we can... um, be fully aware that they're there and and not get in, entangled with it not have criticism judgment fix manipulate shift You know, add to the fantasy or try and get rid of the pain or all the things that we traditionally do. So uh, it is a pretty drastic shift because the habits are pretty deeply ingrained. So we try and say during a formal sitting meditation practice, we have a little bit more of a chance because, like this sit, I spent about 10 minutes seeing how we could settle the body, settle the mind on the breath and then open it up to see what else is coming and calling for our attention. So, um, while the analogy works really well for a formal sitting practice, for some people it, uh, it's maybe too passive for living a daily life. So, uh, it's, uh, we're not saying it's a passive practice. The idea is to become more fully present for all aspects of our life, and a little bit less entangled so, hopefully, that becomes more clear. The more things you see come up in which you might notice you entangle. So, for some people, that analogy sitting in the one room uh, house, um, you know, I'm the type that would go up to the window anytime something would come up a butterfly, a bird, a this or that, or whatever. So, there are certain <laughs> patterns or habits we might see over and over again. Uh, some people turn the chair around and don't even look at the windows or the door. Um, so for certain things like difficult emotions or painful sensations, the, they don't even want to see them or uh, open to them. So uh, uh, this practice gradually lets us balance out if we do it regularly to see where are our triggers, where do we, where are our blinders, and is it possible for us just to sit in that chair when we have much more stability of mind and presence of body um, to uh, be, be more fully present for all things as they arise. So um, there are two ways to further practice. Um, uh, one way is concentration, uh, and one way is through daily life practices. And um, with that, I'm going to let Diana <laughs> discuss those. But maybe um, we have a few minutes to see if there's any questions Comments around experiences of that last meditation.
0: Okay. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Thank you, Shen Quan. I recently heard an analogy by a meditation teacher that I thought was really interesting. They said just as um Xinquan was saying that we don't get entangled with all these things necessarily, all our experiences, thoughts, sensations, nor do we turn our back to them. But may we like make contact with them like we're present for them we're aware for them and this meditation teacher was saying it's akin to living longer this is something in the western world we're all keen on living longer and we have this great uh, medical complex you know to help us be healthy and live longer but if you consider that um, having contact with your experiences you just end up having more experiences in one day. You're just present for more things that happen. So it's as if if we um, were to think of the length of our lives as the amount of experiences we have. then this is a way to kind of lengthen our lives because we have more experiences, because we're more present for them. I thought this was kind of an interesting way to think about it. It's that... Um, each day becomes richer, fuller. We have more things or more experiences, more ideas that we're present for, that we're aware of. So, I don't know, for me, I just thought that was an interesting way to think about it. and I offer it to you. If um, it makes sense to you or is attractive to you, you're welcome to. And if, if it doesn't make so much sense to you, you're welcome to kind of put that aside too. So Kwan said, we've spent these um, past four weeks going over mindfulness meditation, but then, like, then what? Is this all that there is? Is that we um, sit on a cushion and meditate in this practice? And as she said, no. One is to bring mindfulness to daily life. That is, when we're not sitting on the meditation cushion, but just going along our lives. So as I said earlier, we can live a fuller and maybe longer life. And there's a number of ways we can do this. Um, Andrea Fella, who is uh, one of the main teachers here, she kind of has, uh, really likes this um, topic, and she has developed a whole kind of program around this. If you want, you can check on the calendar, and there's something about mindfulness in daily life. But um, one thing that she teaches that I think is really interesting, and I myself have found really um, helpful, is to choose for each day an activity that happens quickly, just for a short amount of time, and an activity that occurs a little bit longer. And set the intention that you will be present, aware, mindful, have contact with these activities. So here's some examples. So for the ones that are of a little bit longer duration, you can say brushing your teeth. When you brush your teeth, you can set the intention I'm really going to be present for the sensations, the thoughts, the experience of brushing my teeth. It's a mundane experience. We do it all the time. But why not use this to kind of enhance our meditation practice and to really experience what does toothpaste really taste like? What is that sensation on our teeth and our gums really like? And what's the temperature of the water when we rinse our mouth? Just to be present. So brushing our teeth could be an example. Another example could be something like washing the dishes. This is probably something we do regularly. Is what is that like the sensation of the water on your hands, the sound of the um, the faucet going? If we use the dishwasher, what kind of sounds does that make? The what um feelings do we have when we notice the caked on food that maybe somebody that we share our household with left uh, dishes in the sink with that you know we can just pay attention to the emotions that arise when we see that so again this is kind of one particular activity we do at least once a day and it takes a short amount of time and we can just set our intention that we're going to be mindful we're going to really pay attention and be experienced in a non-judgmental way, kind of like in a curious way. Investigate what is it really like to do this. Let's see um, another one that's really great. It's very challenging, but um, is a wonderful place to watch mindfulness. Is when you're in conversations with people. So, are you a good listener? Are you a person that's able to just kind of relax and listen to what they're saying? Or are you kind of like waiting so that you can say what you want to say, the next thing, the rebuttal, the response, or something like that? So how does that feel in your body, that you're feeling impatient for them to finish speaking? Or... Do you um, get bored because you're not the one that's talking? You don't have so much interest in what anybody else is saying. How does that feel in your body? What are kind of the emotions, the mind that you have? So how are you as a listener? And then as a speaker, how are you? What's the experience of speaking to another person like? Are you concerned with demonstrating what a wonderful person you are? Or maybe you're um, feel like maybe you're not such a wonderful person so you just want to diminish anything that you have to say and maybe say it as quickly or maybe don't even say it at all or something like this. So this is um, really, really rich. You can learn a lot about yourself and how you listen and how you speak. I can say that it's also really challenging because it's easy to get swept up into the conversation, what's being said, what's not being said, and what you're thinking about what the person said, and it's easy to lose your mindfulness. But you can set your intention to do this. And often what happens is when in, when you set your intention to do something, washing the dishes, brush your teeth, conversation, is that um, perhaps the first date you won't remember. And it's only as you're drifting off to sleep, like, oh, that's right, I was supposed to do that and I completely forgot. And then maybe the next day, maybe you'll remember, maybe you won't, maybe the third day, maybe you will remember a little, you'll remember that you're supposed to remember, but then you won't remember when you're actually doing the activity, maybe the fourth day. So it's something that you can set the intention and then if you continually set the intention, it will happen. You can do this. So that's mindfulness in daily life, looking at something you do for a a longer period. You can also um, do things, you can use uh, events as mindfulness bells, quote-unquote, a way to bring your, as a reminder to bring your attention back to your immediate sensation, whatever you're thinking or feeling. An obvious one is the phone, right? It's a bell itself. But maybe when the phone rings, you don't have to answer it just that second. You can take a breath, feel your feet on the ground. How does the breath found it, uh, feel in your chest? What kind of emotions are in your mind? Just kind of connect back with yourself. That only takes a few seconds to do this. It's okay, they're not going to hang up if you take a few seconds. And then this way, when you answer the phone, you're grounded and a little bit more present. And you may have a different type of conversation. Something different may happen if you answer in a phone and speak in a, in a way that perhaps isn't as distracted or harried as um, is possible to do when the phone rings and interrupts us. Something else um, to do is a common practice in kind of in the Buddhist world is walking through doorways. If when you walk through a doorway, you're leaving one space and entering another space, just notice oh, is it my right foot or my left foot that's going into the new space? Um, what's my posture like? Um, am I hurrying? Am I. Um, resistant, do I not really want to go there or do I not even noticing because I'm just trying to get something done I'm not even noticing that I'm going into another room so walking through doorways um, can be another mindfulness spell Um, something about when you get up from a chair you could set the intention to be mindful when you get up from a chair or when you sit down so when you change your posture And kind of in an obvious way, it can be um, a good mindfulness bell. Another one can be when you're at a stoplight, when you're no longer driving, you're in your car, and you can notice, am I on the phone? And I'm kind of lost in talking on the phone, not even really noticing that I'm in my car. Am I listening to music, singing along, lost? Am I impatient? Dang it, I need this light to turn green so I can go elsewhere. So just like, what is the sensation of being stopped in your car at a red light? So I offer these just as examples. You can find things of, um, that you do often that um, you can choose to bring mindfulness spells. One thing that's a longer duration, one from shorter. With the idea that mindfulness practice is a practice it's something that, um, we, as you've all discovered during these weeks, if you've been doing this, it's not something that you can do right away. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to be mindful for every breath now for this meditation. It doesn't happen. Our minds are accustomed to wandering, and this is a way to help with the training. Not only bring your mindfulness back to your breath when you're on the cushion, but bring it back to your body when the phone rings or when you're brushing your teeth. So that's one way that we can do. A second one is um, mindfulness of... I'm sorry. Another way that we can take this practice is to develop concentration. And that is a certain stability of mind or a focus. If we were to use um, an analogy here... Is that mindfulness sometimes can be like a telescope where you can like zoom in into what's really happening, and concentration could be like a tripod that holds the telescope. So a certain stability of um, where you're not scattered, where you're you know sometimes our minds are um, thinking about lots of different things at the same time, and it's hard to feel settled. So concentration is a sense of settledness, focus. Many of us have this um, experience of being concentrated when we're doing something often that we love and that, and we have relaxed about. Sometimes we call this, I guess, state of flow. Sometimes athletes have this when they're performing. It's part of why it's beautiful to watch them perform. We kind of see somebody who's in flow. Or artists, or sometimes if you're um, gardening, you love gardening and you're with uh, the plants. So many of us have this, experience of kind of a stability contentment where or a certain amount of focus and that's a concentration so you can purposely develop concentration to support your mindfulness practice as well as um, support your uh, many things just the kind of the quality of your mind that I think all of us have the experience of being with people, being with an individual who perhaps isn't quite present for us. They're distracted and checking their watch or checking their phone or looking over your shoulder. But it's a different experience when you're with somebody who's kind of grounded and stable and present. So if we learn to do that, something we can offer to the world is to be a stable presence in the world and to others. It's actually a gift to others to Kind of be present. So how do we do this? How do we build concentration? There's two primary ways. One is just regularity of this mindfulness practice that we've been doing. That We've been teaching these weeks. If you do a daily practice, it's kind of inevitable that you'll start to... As part of the training, what happens is your mind gets a little more stable. becomes a little bit easier to focus. It's just a natural consequence of a daily practice. So some people even choose to um, meditate twice a day. So the more the better. But I don't want to make it sound like you have to do that. Any amount of meditation, any moment of mindfulness you can do, whether it's daily practice or formally sitting on a cushion, can support your mental training, including your concentration practice. So one way is regularity of practice. The second way is longer duration of practice. We um, for here the guided meditations we've been doing is about 15 minutes, and the homework we've been saying about 20 minutes. I think maybe it went up in the last for even um, longer. But you can do even longer. What we kind of call retreats where you um, spend extended periods of time meditating. And because it um, can be uncomfortable to be sitting on a cushion in a formal meditation posture for a long period of time, we alternate sitting meditation with walking meditation. Walking meditation is very similar to sitting, except um, rather than bringing your attention to your breath, you're often bringing your attention to the sensation of your feet on the ground. And that you um, don't go anywhere in particular, so that there isn't that part of your mind for you're like, oh, should I go straight now? Should I turn left? What should I do here? Instead, we just choose a sh- maybe ten feet, ten paces, and come turn around and come back, and go forward, back and forth, back and forth. That's all walking meditation is. It can be really great. It can um, help increase your energy if you feel sleepy or tired, and it can also help calm your energy if you feel a bit agitated. So we alternate sitting meditation with walking meditation during retreats. Here in this room at IMC, there's a number of different retreats, including um, on Wednesday, every Wednesday, we have what's called a half-day retreat. And that's a period of sitting, walking, and sitting. So it's all in silence. And it's 45 minutes each, each session. It's always at two hours and 15 minutes. And there's, um, it's really a wonderful practice because you're with other people to kind of support you in your practice. But a lot of, um, I don't know, I I can just say from my own experience that um, meditating for a little bit longer, you can get a little bit more settled and you can... um, start to see things in a different way and start to become even less entangled with stuff as Kwan was um, describing. So Wednesdays we have half days. Also here at IMC one Saturday a month there is a what we call a day long that's held in silence for meditation and there will be like four hours in the morning alternating sitting and walking, a lunch also in silence you bring your own lunch and then four hours in the afternoon sitting and walking so can can um, recommend those as well. And then um, we recently, I guess a little bit over a year now, opened up Insight Retreat Center. That's a residential center where we offer a, a week-long retreat, seven days. This one is offered every month. Um, in silence, uh, where you meditate for most of your waking hours. And it turns out to be some pretty amazing experience actually to like we often go on vacation right to get take a break and get a little different look at our life and recharge our batteries so a retreat is a different way to as as a different alternative to our daily lives uh, can with the meditation, you can see really clearly things that are difficult to see when you're still ensconced in your daily life. And because we're in silence, you can um, start to relax all those views that you uh, we have about ourselves, about how we should be in the world and how we want people to see us. Um, when you're not talking with people, there is some talking that happens there, but it's primarily in silence. Um, there's a certain relaxation that can happen that is difficult to do when you're trying to keep up appearances or worried about what that person just said to you or what you're going to say to them or replaying conversations you had earlier in the day, when those things get put aside, there's a certain kind of um, uh, deepening, softening, relaxing that can happen. For those people who think like, what, seven days in silence? No, thank you. That doesn't interest me. That sounds a little bit too weird, no, thank you. i don't want to do that i can um, I can encourage you to try it. I will say it turns out to be a beautiful thing, and many of us at the end don 't want to be talking again. <laughs> it just uh, turns out to be really great when you can kind of just relax that whole kind of social part of our lives the social part of our lives is very important and it's vital, but there's something that can be gained when we just put it aside for a little while. And then, um, I'll also say about retreats that um, what we offer at the Insight Retreat Center, which is in Santa Cruz, it's affiliated with here, we're the same, both Shin Kwan and I volunteer there as well, um, you can do longer than seven days. You can do... Actually, both Quan and I have done a couple of months at a time. And something pretty remarkable happens when you spend a few months training your mind. You can imagine. You get a lot of... Um, your mind can relax and soften and... I'm not sure what the word is. I'm not quite sure how to explain it. But things are available to you and your mind when you're not as busy using it, being in the world and doing our daily lives, our activities and things like that. So um, the way that I think about it, I don't know if everybody who goes on long retreats would agree with me, but I kind of feel like I'm upgrading the software, kind of that feeling, like, uh, you know, it's the same, I'm the same person and I'm doing the same things, but um, just kind of like taking care of some of the bugs and some of the little glitches and um, maybe new capabilities or new ways of doing things. Simply, simple things happen through um, some retreat practice, some long practice. So that, there's two ways for to kind of concentration. One is just the regularity of daily practice, and the second is longer duration, either here at IMC on a Wednesday morning or a Saturday, or um, on retreats, either at inside retreat center, or there's a number of retreat centers here in the Bay Area. I, it's quite amazing how much is available here in the Bay Area, actually. You can find information for all these on our websites. And maybe I'll say that um, one thing that happens with a longer retreat practice, or any retreat practice, or maybe even just any gaining some concentration, is you start to see that there are certain concepts that we use that we don't really need to use, that there are Ways in which we interact with the world in which like maybe we assign labels to things so rather than actually having contact with them like I talked about earlier which um, can really add to the richness of your life we just kind of slap a label on it oh that's boring or oh that's this person who is always angry and we don't really meet them for the way that they are instead we're just being like oh that's the angry person and we're not really seeing them with concentration practice, you start to see, like, wow, we do this for a lot of things. And you can start to get underneath that and really experience things for the way that they are. For the... I um, have this expression, the suchness of them. the, it's the Without all... Without having to compare them to how they were last time or the way that we expect them to be next time or... Our um, particular views or ideas about them. So, here's one way to think about this: is that here I have a leaf. It's not complicated, it's very simple, it's just a green leaf. I don't know, maybe it's three inches. It's very simple. We don't have to compare this to leaves of the past that we've seen, other leaves that we're going to see in the future. We don't have to compare it to what we think leaves should look like. It's just a leaf, just a green leaf. But then, if I do, (laughs) <laughs> it's already laughing. Shin- uh, there's something that we can do that, can, that may make us think about this leaf differently. This leaf isn't going to change, it's going to stay the same. But now, if I have this other leaf, this one, I don't know, maybe it's six inches, now we can say something about this first leaf, right? It's small. This is the small leaf. This is the big leaf. They're both just leaves, but when we compare them, we now can assign a label or a concept to this to this particular leaf, the small one, the large one. Okay, this seems innocent enough, right? I mean, sometimes it's useful to have labels. And after all, it seems that this one is smaller than this one. However... What happens if I bring a third leaf, right? This one, I don't know, maybe it's one inch. Is this still the small leaf? Earlier we were saying it was the small leaf, right? It's not the small leaf. It's just a leaf. And when we compare it to others... We assign a concept or a label to it. So the smallness is not inherent in the leaf. It's only when we're comparing it to others. It's only in relationship to others. It's only when we want to assign a label to it. It's not inherent. This is a very simple um, demonstration But I think a lot of the suffering in the world that happens today is when we assign labels to people. This is a good person, this is a bad person, this is my friend, this is not my friend. This is. I don't know, I don't know. There's so many things that we can do. But that's not inherent in people, it's not inherent in our experience, it's not inherent. And the sensations, it's not inherent in the thoughts. It's something that we're adding. It's extra. We don't have to do it. We don't have to say it's big or it's small, it's good, it's bad, it's right, it's wrong. We don't have to do it. And with meditation practice, you learn to see more and more, oh, it's a leaf. And just to see, it's very simple. It's a leaf, it's green, it's about the size. And there's something kind of nice about the simplicity of this that's refreshing. We don't have to make it more. We don't have to make it right or wrong, good, bad. Those kinds of things. We can just appreciate the leaves for the leaves. People for people. Experiences for experiences. Something that can happen when we as we were talking earlier, kind of like make contact with our experience. So that's what this mindfulness practice is about, is to help us. um, I've heard Gil use this analogy, which I thought was kind of cute. He said that it's as if um, some of our experiences is like a cat. And that when you see a cat, you can like pet the cat like you can feel it, you stroke the cat. You're not like pounding the cat. You're not hitting the cat. You're not trying to change the cat, twist it around or something like this. But you're just kind of like petting the cat. So it's one way we can have um, contact with our experience. Sometimes meditation, like if we're if with our breath, it's like maybe it's kind of like staying with our breath, with the in-breath and the out-breath. can I mean, kind of like petting the cat. And the cat can often, not all the time, often they'll kind of settle down, maybe start purring or something like this, right? When we are kind of present for them in this way. So I offer that as an analogy, if it makes sense to you, if it uh, feels appropriate. Is there something that you would like to add here, Shinkwan? Do no. you want to get ready for q
1: uh, sorry, that um, that magic trick always makes me laugh a little bit, so I'm a little giggly up here. So we're ready. If there are there any questions about this idea, um, the two ways of furthering practice, and um, the idea around how concentration helps uh, kind of loosen the grip around our conceptual mind. Uh, yes, great. Um, hi, Thank you. Um, what kind of preparation do you think someone needs to do either the half day or the full day, or certainly the much longer um,
0: silent retreats, which uh, sounds pretty daunting? Um, but even the half day—I mean, if, if we've people who have just done these five five days and practice during the week—is that sufficient?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Xincong's answer was just go for it. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit of what you can expect um, like on the half day. Um, so it's 45 minutes sitting. There's no guided meditations here at IMC in general. So um, the guided meditations you have are here probably the most you'll see. But um, some people for the walking um, choose to leave at the walking or to arrive during the walking period. So if it feels like you know, you've had too much or something, that's a time where you can go. If you feel like you can't commit to the whole um, half day or the full, day you can um, come or go during the walking periods and then maybe I'll just add that um, you are welcome to any event we have here at IMC and um, for those of you who haven't been here haven't been to anything else what you can expect is in the beginning there'll be um, a silent meditation will be completely silent not guided usually for 45 minutes or for I guess on Thursdays our Thursday night is 35 minutes. And Sunday morning is 35 minutes. Otherwise, it's 45 minutes. And then a talk. Somebody is sitting up here. The teacher will um, give a talk. So that's what you can expect. You're welcome to anything that we offer here. Um, Just people will be quiet for the first 45 minutes. (laughs) Do you want to add anything, Sinkwa? No.
1: Any other questions? Yes, well, can you wait for th-
0: what would be the. Topics of the talks? Oh. She asked, what would be the topics of the talks? We don't know. Um, let's see, like I just saw there's a flyer out there. Maria Stroutman is doing a series on the three characteristics. for So, three Tuesdays in a row, she's going to do that. Um, I know Gail Fronstal, who teaches here on Sunday mornings and Monday nights. Very often he doesn't know until it's just right before. He kind of like what seems right for him, what's fresh for him to share. And so sometimes there's a series, like, you know, four weeks in a row we're going to talk about this. And sometimes it's just whatever is inspiring to the teacher or what they feel is relevant to the audience.
1: Uh, So Monday nights, I just know he was doing a four-week series on concentration, and there's going to be one more week next Monday about concentration if you're interested in the value of concentration to your practice. So um, I just wanted to add that concentration also really helps add, like, these really beautiful qualities of mind. Beautiful inner states are allowed to... uh, um, be cultivated because there's a lot less you have to be doing so there's um, incredibly deep states of peace that can be um, achieved and calm uh, along with the clarity Um, uh, it's great in and of itself to be calm and peaceful honestly we probably don't have enough of that in our life but um, for the purposes of this type of meditation um, we use that in order to see more deeply where uh, we can have more freedom in our lives, where our lives can unfold uh, better for us um, with a lot less stress and a lot less suffering.
0: And then maybe uh, it just occurred to me, I'll add something more about your question about retreats. Um, There's no requirement. Nobody has to go on retreat. But often after you've been meditating for a while, you you may just have the feeling, oh, I want to try this meditation retreat thing. Um, Some people just jump in and some people feel like, you know what, I've been doing this, I've been coming to IMC for a while, I've been sitting at home for a while, I feel like I want to take it to the next level. So um, often the guidance is kind of follow your intuition when it's time to go on a retreat or when your life allows for you to do something like that. So there isn't any strict rule. You should have been meditating, have a daily practice for so long, or you should be coming, have been coming here for so long. There aren't any um, rules or anything like that.
1: Um, so uh, I just wanted to add that I have a lot of... Um I guess, respect and admiration for those of you who have stuck it out for these five weeks because this approach to mindfulness is really, um, uh, for a lot of people, not easy. And uh, for me, it wouldn't have been easy at all (laughs) Um, because, like this woman says, I wouldn't have seen anything happening (laughs) and I would have probably given up. is we're so accustomed to wanting immediate results and seeing something and um, getting somewhere and doing something. And it's so much the opposite of that. Um, but for a lot of um, people that I know, we had no practice sitting. We just went right ahead and jumped into a 10-day retreat. <laughs> because honestly, that was probably the only conditions that would have allowed my mind to settle enough to notice anything that was going on. So... Um, so it does take patience, and it's great if, this, if it works for you to do it this way. And um, I would say it's, it's probably uh, not so helpful to see if um, there are results. <laughs> it's harder to quantify that. Um, but um, my guess is you'll notice a lot more than previously, just because there's an inclination to, an intention, an interest in. And to me, it's really important that even if we don't see the results and have the huge insights right away, if the intention moves away towards harm and towards more peace and non-harm, then um, it's not only super beneficial for us in how we live our lives, but it also really contributes to more of the kind of world that I think um, all of us would benefit to, to live in. So uh, so we knew that we might end early, and we're really happy to let you guys go early because <laughs> it's uh, um, late in the, uh, in the evening. Um, there's only, uh, I guess, the only other um, announcement I would make is that um, there's handouts of every previous week on the counter in that room as you leave this room on your right Um, and they're all available online through audio dharma if you wanted to re-listen to them and the guided meditations help you sit because sometimes it's just hard to establish a formal sitting practice and the four-week beginners practice group there's no flyer for it but it is on the website Um, and you guys are all welcome to participate in that so um, there's one more question and then i think we'll let you go First of all, I wanted to say thank you for teaching. I think we all appreciate it. Um, And the one question I had is uh, we're surrounded by unmindfulness activity. And how would you... I mean, you could spend your whole day noticing everything that's going on around you. Uh, What do you recommend for us as we try to apply what we can change within ourselves, but then noticing everything else around us that isn't mindful. So I'm glad that you made the distinction between um, what you put your focus on because you can just put your focus on all the troubles in the world and all the brutality in the world and all the suffering in the world. Um, and it's very easy to get sucked into that and drown in that. And so I think soon enough you'll find that that's not helpful or, or practical. Uh, and neither do we live in a vacuum. So it is valuable to see clearly the conditions that we live in. And this practice helps provide that stability of presence and m- of mind and body so that we can meet all our experiences Um uh, without as much um, judgment or or aversion or hatred allows uh, some softening to happen so that when you use this word compassion can um, be the result when you see suffering versus aversion when you see suffering so I say that not so that we say you have to be compassionate. It's very difficult. But as you meet your own suffering more fully without drowning in it, it allows the heart uh, to open. And I find that a very valuable piece of this practice because if we aren't willing to look at what's going on in ourselves uh, with wisdom and compassion, then it's going to be very difficult to meet the conditions in the world with wisdom and compassion. Okay, so uh, it was a joy to teach these five weeks with you guys. And if you have any other questions, uh, we'll be here for another 15 minutes or so. But um, uh, good luck practicing, and um, maybe we'll see some of you for the next four weeks. Thank you.